0: This is cinema degeneration. <laughs>
1: no. Why? Why why is that funny? Look,
0: look. You came to me to find out how guys like Mike and Chucky and Freddy do what they do, not why. <laughs>
1: here i'll just let you go you're sorry look at me we are currently experiencing technical difficulty please remain calm while we attempt to fix the riot One, kill her! got to find the key.
2: folks welcome once again to cinema degenerations single serving slashers appreciation month we were celebrating the slashers who only got one chapter maybe a uh, a remake you know or a reboot but no sequels for these slashers these are the slashers whose tales were only told in a single chapter and we have a bit of something a little different for you we have a uh an Italian slasher, not as giallo, but it, as um, my good buddy here uh, had said off off the air, stylistically it still kind of is as giallo. But we are going to be talking *Stage Fright* from 1987, and joining me this evening, or I should say this afternoon, for the festivities is my good buddy Thomas Berdinsky. How the hell are you? Real
0: good, Cameron. Thanks. Thanks for having me, and. Uh... This is a this is a, this is a very appropriate uh, episode for me to be on because I am I am probably a fan of only one slasher and this happens to be it.
2: <laughs> so this is this is a one off for me too. <laughs> now, now I got to ask like so you don't like any slashers at all but you love giallos. Exactly.
0: Yeah, giallos and and that's kind of where this movie is the only movie I can think of that sort of straddles that line between you know slasher and gylo and and we'll get into this of course a little bit more but um, you know very stylistically this is this is definitely has the look and feel of a gylo but it's clearly a slasher because you know from the get-go who the killer is there's no mystery here as to what's going on except that the cast can't figure it out but anybody watching the movie knows exactly <laughs> who the killer is right from the beginning. Oh, so yeah. it, it's truly a slasher and has all those has all those uh, you know sort of tropes but uh th- this one is is its own thing and uh that's why i really appreciated it and it, it's i was glad it was on your your list of potentials to do because you know most of the other slashers for me they i don't know they're just they they, they don't have the style you know that t- that, that i like you know I'm, I'm really into the italian films and i just love the generally the dreamlike qualities and the when they were at their top of their game in the 80s some of the technical achievements that they did with their photography and everything that that was just generally lacking in slashers at least in my experience yeah. I didn't watch a lot of them I mean sure I've seen all the Friday the 13th and Halloween's and all those things and they're fine but they just they're never going to make my list of you know favorite films where, where this one you know kind of does so
2: yeah well it is uh, directed by Michelle Suave. Uh, who did uh, one of my favorite Italian horror movies of all time, Della Morte Della More, a.k.a. Cemetery Man, which I think is one of the, like, uh, probably top ten, not even top ten, that's a top five Italian horror movie for me. Definitely, definitely top five
0: zombie movie, I would say. Um, Oh, yeah. It's just so so unique, and he's uh, you know, it, it just and sort of like with this one with, with stage right. There's there's certain stylistic things that uh, that he brought to that genre too that really nobody else did. So you got to give Michelle, or as he as he is on this one, I think he's Michael Solvi, but uh, <laughs> I don't know I don't know how he pronounces his name. Is it Michelle or is it Michael? I I don't
2: know. I, but, I've heard it pronounced both ways, but like in promo material and behind the scenes junkets and stuff. I've heard in the show, so that yeah. that's why I, I, you know, it's just it depends on who you're listening to that day how this is pronounced. But like I, I found the majority of the people have pronounced it that way, so I feel like that's got to be somewhat correct. Yep. <laughs> Pronunciations of of Italian names has ne-
0: has never been my uh, my strength, but he he did um you know and he did the sect and the church and you know other ones where he was you know associated with Argento, so he's. He certainly had a you know a pedigree before he took this one on, um, but uh, he's you know he's he's his own his own you know his own style to his you know all of his projects all of his films and this was where I think he was you know approaching his peak if not right at it.
2: Yeah, and this was like technically his first uh, feature. I know he had done the Argento's World of Horror documentary, and he did a short that I can't remember the name of. But this was his first feature, and in, in an interview I had seen with him, he had even yeah. said that he wasn't sure if he was even quite ready to direct a you know a feature. But when they offered it to him, he's like you know you just don't say no to these people.
0: Well, and he you know the, this production you know he was surrounded by you know some some Italian greatness really. I mean George Eastman was the writer, the main writer, um, you know from Anthropophagus and. You know, so many others, that you know, that, that he worked with. And um, the producer was, if I remember right, I'm going to have to scroll down here real quick. Yeah, it was Joe Diamato, Yeah. did all yeah, kinds that. of, yeah, I mean, all kinds of generally really low-budget stuff Joe did. In this particular production, this was a big crew, big cast and crew. This was a, you know, pretty high-budget production for, you know, an Italian horror film. Granted, they, they probably saved money by shooting it all in one location, having it all take place basically in that theater. But uh, they certainly spent their money well on, you know, lighting and cameras and photography, you know, effects and everything. I mean, they they really put a, a solid, big-budget look to, to, you know, to this film, which generally Joe D'Amato's stuff didn't do. But, uh, you know he just he, they had he had a really good crew that they put together for this. He had really good photographer, um cinematographer. there were stunts, um, editing. everything was just so polished within this one that uh, you know you give the director credit, but you also got to give the the whole production team credit because they all came together and and really gave an a effort on this one.
2: I agree. I think the the two things that I found to be the most impressive were one, I mean, it's it's got to be the cinematography.
1: cinematography
2: is just so good. Like I I was like pausing it, you know, at different intervals, which I'm sure was annoying, Patty to no end, you know, but I was like, I got to make notes about this. And uh, the the music, the music is so good. And I know you being a musician, you probably got some thoughts on this music, but uh, I I got into this and the first thing I thought, I'm like, wow, this sounds like a Simon Boswell soundtrack because it (laughs) sounded like Demons 2. And then I was just like, oh, sure enough, he was one of the musicians on it. So I was like, ah, I, I figured as much.
0: Yep, and I, I caught that right away, too. And then I looked up the soundtrack, and uh, there, there is a vinyl uh, release of it, which is just Simon Boswell's music. And I think he's the only one credited for music on the, uh, on the screen. But when you dig into the IMDb credits for this movie, there's four guys actually credited for the music. And the other one is Stefano Minetti, I believe. Yeah, Stefano Manetti, and uh, he did Zombie 3, which there were parts in this soundtrack to me that I thought, that's right out of Zombie 3, which actually came out later, but I think he just had a certain style, and I think for certain action stuff, I think that's more, you know, Stefano's area to because he did a bunch of action movies you know strike commando karate mission two cobra mission two i mean he's an action guy at least at this stage in his career he was i think i mean both these guys are still writing music today it's it's really incredible how long their careers have been and, and just all the things they've done but uh, but his uh his uh, he's not on the soundtrack that uh, that went out so i'm i'm kind of confused as to you know what do i do i really want the soundtrack but i want both those guys <laughs> right. i'm but sure yeah, some sort of
2: copyright dispute you know credit dispute of some sort but it would be nice yep. if they could like come together and like put out a, a comprehensive version of the soundtrack because i i would scoop this up on vinyl in a heartbeat
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's int- and there's two other guys, you know, on the soundtrack, too, which just are on the, you know, the IMDb list of all the people doing the soundtracks. And I'm just thinking, wow, I mean, there's there's a lot of music in this. And maybe some of this stuff is, you know, like the the sort of opera-esque music and, and the jazz music. And maybe those are just different guys who just did maybe one song or something for it, which which is a lot of times the case. So, could could be that going on could could be any number of things but uh, it it certainly stood out i mean if you like that 80s italian style music of of goblin and boswell and and you know claudio simonetti all those folks i mean this is this is right up there with with the best of it that's for sure
2: oh without a doubt what that well before we get too deep into the the who and the what and the why let's get into what's uh i'd like to do the imdb synopsis first and then we can start Tearing apart this movie bit by bit, sure. Right, and I know I know it has a couple of uh, alternate titles, but this is *Stage Fright* from 1987, A.K.A. *Aquarius*, A.K.A. *Deliria*. But the IMDb synopsis is as follows: A group of stage actors lock themselves in the theater for a rehearsal of their upcoming musical production, unaware that an escaped psychopath has sneaked into the theater with them. And I feel like that's that's fairly accurate, but like. I don't. I don't think they. Almost. It's almost like they unwillingly get locked in because that director, who David yeah. Brandon playing, uh, <laughs> like playing Peter the director. He is one of the most uh, egotistical, uh, slimy kind of gentlemen that I have ever like witnessed on on camera. David Brandon is kind of the. I have to say, one of the MVPs of this uh, movie, because he, he makes you legit hate him. The minute he grabs that cat and starts throwing it around, you know me, I, I don't take kindly to anybody mis, mistreating uh, puppies or kitties or anything like that. So I, I instantly did not like that gentleman at all.
0: Yeah, there, are, there are screenwriting books out there that uh, basically tell you if you're trying to create a despicable character, have him be cruel to an animal. And I, think, I think, uh, I think uh, Michelle Sophie probably read that same book, because <laughs> yeah, right, right off the bat, you know, he's a, he's a fink, and and the guy, you're right, David Brandon, and totally nails it. But as I was watching it, too, I was thinking one of the other cast members who really stands out in this one, just by name, is uh, John Morgan or Giovanni Lombardo Rodis, who you'll you know recognize from Cannibal for Rocks and Gates of Hell and, and all these other movies. And his, his face is the one I recognized right away, you know, in the, those early scenes. And I thought, man, I, as much as I like David Brandon, I really wonder if, if uh, you know, John Morgan had played that part. Because he's another guy who can just play such a sleazy scumball, you know?
2: Well, I, I had just watched uh, with him just recently here for the 31 Days of, of Halloween. I watched Cannibal Apocalypse. Oh, great movie, yeah. And, and, and him and John Saxon play so well off each other. But yeah, that's another one. I wouldn't say he's a, a slimy gentleman in, in in that movie, but he he's definitely um, – <laughs> You could definitely say he's troubled. I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, he, and, that, and that's probably the most of his roles. He's he's definitely troubled, and maybe that wasn't for in, in this movie. He didn't really get that kind of a role, so it was interesting. I, I, I mean, looking at this and where he was in his career, I kind of would have thought he'd be closer to like the headliner and and would be taking a bigger part than he did in this movie. He kind of had a small part in this movie. I mean, he s- certainly stood out. But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, he's one of those guys that I just wish was in more stuff. And I know he's probably been in, you know, 50, 60 or more movies, but I always feel like, man, I wish he was in more.
2: <laughs> yeah, because you see him and it's just like he's one of those, you know, unique character actors that's just got one of those faces you instantly recognize. Yep. And yep. you're just like, oh, I just wish I had seen him in more. I just saw him in a movie that just came out uh, this past year in 2021 called Bath of May. That is really really good if you can find a place a character named Henrique. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'll definitely I think it's right up your alley though.
0: Yeah, I'll have to look for that. Now, he's the last one I remember seeing him in was that Omen remake, which I think was in the early 2000s. Um, so I I mean obviously he's done stuff since then, but I just that was the last thing I can remember seeing him in. So I'll have to look that up. I also happened to when I was when I was checking out the, the cast and crew of this one, I, I caught that George Eastman just wrote. And it's already been been produced uh, uh, a sequel to Anthropophagus. So oh, really? Yeah, there's a trailer on IMDb for it. It's all in Italian, so I don't think it's been subtitled or dubbed or anything yet. But uh, you know, nice to see him still still making movies and writing and you know in 2022. So it, it is cool that these guys are still out there doing their thing you know 40 years after they're 45 years after maybe their prime so it's very cool
2: well the, there's definitely been a, a somewhat of a resurgence in the last couple of years with these italian uh horror films and i'm all for it because i've been a fan of them ever since for the last 40 years you know and i've never stopped being a fan and this you know yeah the heyday might be over but i think it's it's time for a resurgence Oh,
0: yeah. And, and the technology, you know, when, when we were able to see them back in the 80s, you know, a few of them played on the big screen. Um, but for the most part, you know, we were renting them on VHS and they just the VHS, you know, just isn't that great a quality. It's so nice now that so many of these are coming out on, you know, Blu-ray and 4K. And you can really see just the, the skills that these filmmakers had, the technical skills, even if you don't like the writing and the you know the the uh, kind of a bizarre plots that a lot of these have you can certainly appreciate just how well shot they were and you know they, i mean it was really some some you know innovative stuff for the era a lot of handheld camera work that you just didn't see coming out of hollywood uh you know these guys really pioneered that and a lot of work with zoom lenses and, and focal links and all that stuff they were so far ahead of hollywood on that kind of stuff. So it is It is fun to revisit them. And I, any chance I get, you know, when I see a, a Blu-ray of one of those older films that I haven't seen in a while, I certainly try to pick them up because they are fun to revisit.
2: Yes, yes, they are. I mean, especially, you know, some of them, have benefited from uh, being upgraded to you know high def and to 4k some of them have, have obviously have not because you can see you know effects that were maybe not uh, color graded to to the correct <laughs> level but it still it doesn't make them any uh, to me doesn't make any of these uh, less impressive
0: no no but, it generally makes them better
2: yeah and speaking of impressive what an opening for this movie Oh, uh, you know, when if you look at it from through the eyes of, of, you know, I know we have both seen this, you know, multiple times, you know, looking at it through the eyes, of, you know, of new eyes, so to speak. You know, your first thought is like, wow, this looks like a stage play. And then as the camera pulls back and you realize this is a stage play and it's not happening for real, because at first my first thought is like why is everybody touching the dead body? Why is everybody touching yep. the recently murdered person and like pawning all over? Like, Oh, now that's because she's not really dead. She's just, it's a stage play and it's a musical. And that's <laughs> it's so impressive. I mean, I mean like the, again, the, I'm going to be saying this many, many times over, but the photography, the cinematography, and this is just, it's, is one of the standout uh, thrilling, you know, parts of this movie. But uh, I love when, when Peter, the director, stops everything and he just starts going off on everybody. You really instantly know that this director is a, just a bastard. You know, I think is the correct way to describe him. Yeah, and that and that whole intro scene is very
0: Argento. You know, from from his his peak too, when he was doing some of his his great Gylos. And that, that's where I immediately got the gylo feel for this. It's like, wait a minute, is this gonna be a slasher? And you know, and I hadn't seen it, it has to be at least 20 some years until I watched it again night before last. And uh, so I didn't really remember that. But I'm watching the beginning, sitting there thinking, well, this this is like the beginning of Deep Red or, or Tenebrae or something. I mean, it was just so stylistically, and it's like, this feels like a music video. And I didn't remember it. And then all of a sudden, like you say, then the director cuts in and, and, and you realize, okay, no, this isn't stagey. This is literally, you know, a play that they are doing. And, and you know, I was kind of fooled by it all because it was just so stylish. and The, the music and the shots and everything were just so cool. And that's, that's a credit to the director, too. I mean, he, he certainly learned a lot under Argento and, and he applied it right off the bat. And it, it does let you know what you're getting into right away. You're getting into something that's going to be stylish. And uh, if you like that kind of thing, you know, this one's going to – it doesn't fail you, yeah, that's for sure. All the way through, it does something cool. You know, just every every couple of minutes, there's another shot. You want to look at it again. You know, how would they do that? That was cool.
2: Yeah. I, I think one of the, the most interesting shots from jumping jumping around a little bit here, but when they go to the psychiatric hospital yeah, and the camera moves between the bars – and it's not just a zoom. The camera moves between the bars and continues moving into the room. So I'm assuming that those bars must have came apart to allow for those big old clunky cameras from back in the day to be able to move through it. But it's still such a marvel because it's so seamless.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of shots like that, you know, where where she's running under the uh, under the stage and above in the rafters and uh, just there's so many that there's, there's really too many to mention but you know it's it's especially if you can get a nice you know hd version of this and you know see it in in widescreen it, it's eye filling and it's in the cast is eye candy too there's a lot of really attractive people in the cast you know I mean, we talked about the director he's you know He's, he's kind of a slimy guy but you know but he's, he's good looking guy and all the women in it are fantastic looking yeah
2: everybody awesome. is like very attractive in this movie they 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 cast their uh their their musical very well
0: they did and and you know and of course i'm sure a lot of them aren't actual dancers so a lot of you know body doubles and so on doing the dance moves and all that kind of stuff but you don't notice it i mean it's it's just really well done it's 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 something else, and this goes throughout the movie. This is the case, but especially that intro sequence, like you mentioned, and, and yeah, we're right off the bat. We've we've got our villain, basically, not not our real villain, but certainly our foil. This this director, who's you know, we immediately all hate. <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, between between this verbally assaulting the cast and the crew and throwing that poor cat around. And I, I have a black cat, so I'm partial to him. So as as soon as he manhandled the cat, I was just like, Well, this guy can die any minute now. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> we're not we're gonna be spoiling things for you, but he does die as as does pretty much everybody else in this movie.
1: Well, now, this-
2: this is a slasher, so yeah. you know you come
0: into that, and and one of the things, you know, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of slashers, but generally slashers give you a lot of characters that it's okay to kill, you know? I mean, you don't want to yeah. really miss them, because, you know, a lot of them, they generally give you maybe one or two likable characters, and then a whole bunch of characters that you're you're perfectly okay with them killing, and this movie has a big cast. I mean, for a slasher, this is a big cast, and there's a lot of people that, you know, need to get killed.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of characters to try to keep track of. I I did find that to be one part that was confusing of keeping track, like, okay, what's this person's name? Who is Danny? Who's Mark? You know, like, like, keeping the different characters straight in my head was was a little difficult at times. I I felt like that was one thing that was a little confusing, but, you know, two,
0: two of the guys looked a lot alike. That made it. Exactly. Hot. That assistant director and that uh, actor, they they looked so much alike and they had similar mannerisms. And in fact, they looked kind of like one of the cops in the car who happened to be the director of the film. <laughs> the young yeah. cop. They, they kind of looked like him, too. So it was like that. That kind of led me back when I was watching it to thinking, wait, is this a Jilo? Is one of these guys actually the killer? Because they all look so much alike but uh, you know you get over that pretty fast because you you realize right away you know who the bad guy is so
2: yeah and the director cameo doing his little hitchcock hitchcock kind of yeah cameo is <laughs> a cop that is more fixated on whether or not he looks like uh, james dean than you know protecting the you know the protecting yes. the these young people in, inside the, the theater well,
0: but yeah you and i have done enough of these italian police procedurals to know that the, uh, the the police are not too uh too highly thought of over there in italy i think and i, I think this kind of just follows that uh, <laughs> even though this is supposed to be again an american you know type of production american film obviously it's you know the the the, the italian uh influence is there certainly in the writing
2: oh yeah yeah like let's put it quite bluntly the the, the italian police and then this movie the police in this movie are <laughs> they're, just utterly yeah. they're they're subtly useless. They're just there for comic relief. You know, we cut to them a couple of times throughout the movie, but you know, they're not really doing anything other than, yeah, if you look like James Dean, then I look like Marlon Brando. And he's like, well, a little bit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, not at all. No. But but I, I I gotta say one thing. When uh, the our main character Alicia, you know, she sprains yeah. her ankle, so she convinces um Oh, who is it? Uh, Betty. Uh, I think it's like the wardrobe lady that the driver to the nearest hospital, which is a a psychiatric hospital, not known (laughs) for having an ER section in it. Like, so they're going to be going into a psychiatric hospital for a sprained ankle. Yeah, uh, that's the first thing that I was just like, okay, seems legit. I guess not really, but you know,
0: maybe in, and maybe in Italy, you know, like she said, well, he's a doctor. They're all doctors, aren't they? If they're psychiatrists, they're a doctor. And, you know, <laughs> I guess I get that. But in, and, you know, this was written again, you know, by George Eastman. So, I mean, I, that's obviously he grew up in, in Europe and Italy and all that stuff. So, you know, here, even, you know, in 87, I don't remember, Really, there being many options, you know, if you were injured, you basically went to the hospital. We didn't have like little medi centers and all that stuff. So yeah, every country's different. And maybe that is something, you know, he had a little room where he checked her ankle out and all that stuff. So I mean, I I would imagine that that must be at least somewhat realistic, maybe over there. But over here, yeah, you aren't going to bring a person to a psychiatric ward with a sprained (laughs) ankle. Of course, what are you going to do with a sprained ankle anyway, you know?
2: know, Wrap it in an ACE bandage, give them a couple of Tylenol and send them on their way, you know, make sure they... I guess if you had an x-ray machine, you could t- check it out and make sure that it wasn't uh, broken. He did,
0: he did something for her, though. He said the pain will be gone or this will deal. This will help you with the pain for three hours or something. I'm thinking, had he would give her a cortisol shot or something? I don't know.
2: but You know, that's right. You might have because I was wondering, I had a question. I'm like, what did the doctor do besides wrap it in an ace bandage? But then again, yeah, maybe he did give her a cortisol shot. You know, we, didn't, we don't see everything that happens in these movies, so you just never know.
0: Nope.
2: <laughs> but another questionable thing People in authority in these Italian horror movies, I think you know most Italians. Me, being part Sicilian myself, you know, I, I, I can attest to this. I think must not have a lot of respect for people in the positions of authority, aka police I, I, and and or doctors, because they're always kind of treated very poorly. Yeah, I, I, but like I, the, the, the thing that I get is, oh, go ahead, go go ahead. Sorry. No,
0: I, I mean, I think it's it's interesting you say that, and then I think of all the interviews with Italian directors. And how egotistical, you know, they seem to be and, and how demeaning they are to the actors and to their and to their, you know, their, their counterparts, too. You know, they all think they are the greatest director that's ever existed and every other director is terrible and all their actors are lousy. And, you know, they, they, they had to have this actor and I can't stand this actor. He was so bad and she was so bad. And so, you know, it's got to be something that's really in their culture. That uh, you know, I mean, if, if that's how a director is going to treat me, then yeah, I'm going to I'm going to hate him too, and I'm going to you know dislike him. So it must be something really in the culture there.
2: Yeah, I I, I seem to see a pattern there. Yeah, <laughs> You know, <clears throat> but the doctor, the thing that I get with him, he's he's breaking some big time confidentiality rules. <laughs> like I don't I don't know like all the logistics of being a doctor and confidentiality, but I know you don't really tell people about other patients when they go past that room and our our killer you know is just there i mean he's like it's like uh you know a michael myers film in, in that respect we're like we know exactly who the killer is throughout the whole movie yeah. it's it's irving wallace and they give the story like oh he was a crazy actor and he had killed like 16 people i think they said yeah and, and it gives them the whole story and i'm like oh he's a crazy actor but i'm just like I, I don't think he should be telling these two ladies that. I'm like, he shouldn't be <laughs> divulging that kind of information to the perfect strangers. I'm just saying, I mean, it's exactly. good for the exposition of the story and for us as an audience, so we know it. But, like, hey, Doc, don't be doing that, maybe.
0: <laughs> and, again, maybe it's different over there. But, yeah, over, over here, uh, yeah, no, no. We, we would – and maybe if they had left that out, this would have been more of a gylo you know, but by giving us that whole explanation and then, you know, with what comes next, of course, with, you know, the, this madman, former actor, you know, escaping, as it were, from this mental institution and, and hitching a ride back to the theater with these two innocent girls who don't even know he's in the back seat. Don't know how they, how do, how do people drive in their car and have no idea what's in their back seat? I'll never know.
2: Yeah, like I would think, just approaching the car in general, you would notice like, mm, "What's this big lumpy thing in the back seat that yep. kind of looks like a body?" But yep. you know, it, it was raining, it was storming out, yeah. so like it was dark. So I, I'm willing to kind of let it go in this in this particular case. It it once. did
0: not, yeah, it did not affect my enjoyment of the film at all because we're we're going into this as a slasher. You know, we got to get the slasher there for sure. And uh, we know who he is now. How else would he get there? You know, he's got to yeah. get tried with these girls somehow. So I mean, it it worked. It was nice, condensed. You know, we didn't have a big, drawn-out scene where you know he's walking through the sewers to reach the uh, the theater. Like what was that other movie you and I did recently? Panic, where half the movie takes place walking around in the sewers, and all the buildings are connected by the sewers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep yep yep
0: well i'm, I'm oh. glad i'm glad this wasn't like that
2: yeah oh panic that was that was a it was a real stinker i think yeah
0: that was this is...
2: <laughs> but this is the point though in the movie where we get, do get introduced to urban wallace and he kills the the orderly that's you know because they they go and look and like oh that must be him as they walk by you know as they're exiting you know they're like Looking at them, but and this is where the camera moves into the room through the bars, not just zooms in, but like moves into the room. It is to me the most impressive shot. Like, it just it, I, I had to rewind it like twice just to just witness that shot again, kind of looking for an edit or something that, that you know, that you know, a seam of some sort, you know, but like it's so seamless and it's such a great shot again, showing how the Italians are. But their photography and their, you know, their composition of shots are, are just really unparalleled.
0: Yeah, yeah. Artists, they're artists and they're they're technicians. I mean, we're we're on top of their game for this. And you know, and even just visualizing that, you know, was was that Michelle Solvi who you know thought that shot up? Let's let's come up with this. Here's what I want to do, or or did that, you know, the director of photography and the producers. I mean, somebody came up with this thing. Here's how we're gonna do it and the focal length doesn't really, you know, change, so you're right. I mean, they, they went through somehow, and, uh, you know, 1987, that wasn't CGI, you know, they they did that analog, you know, with with the camera rolling, <laughs> somehow they did that, that yeah. was, and it is impressive, just just like the, the, the shots in the beginning were impressive, and same thing when I was watching those, you know, and there were some cuts there, but for the most part, you know, the, the large trucks and dollies, and and pans and zooms and everything were just like my gosh i mean this is really really well choreographed it was you know like a music video um you know only better and uh just yeah it's just impressive
2: yeah it sets it apart you know uh above the the you know it sets them at the top of the heap so to speak you know these the single serving slashers of photography is just yeah it's unparalleled I'm, I'm glad we picked this one that for many many reasons
1: yeah yep.
2: and and spending, speaking of pick, we get a pickaxe death here coming up yeah. here soon. Poor Betty, for all her troubles of uh, you know, taking, you know, Alicia to the to the doctor and everything, gets stuck, you know, out in the mud by her car. She tries to get back into her car, realizes that the windows are rolled down and water's leaking in. She gets out and gets a that pickaxe shot, which is, I think, very reminiscent. I think they might have been kind of doing a wink and a nod. Uh, to my bloody valentine which is fine you know that's that's Mm -hmm. fine by me but uh yes betty gets it bad bad luck all the way so you know and then the the, this is the point where the movie should probably like in in reality end because they call the police and the police show up and they don't shut everything down they just let everybody stay in the theater and they just like oh this is not a crime scene anymore more, you know we're just gonna get rid of the body and just carry on. Like, um, uh, so of course, the director wants to carry on because the director is a complete and utter piece of shit. Yep. and
0: and so is the producer. and you know they they see an opportunity here. Hey, we're getting some free publicity here. we can we can make this, you know a, a bigger opening, and you know, we can make some changes to our story here and incorporate this into the plot. And you know they're 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 you know, they're conniving. But, uh, but yeah, Yo, that, yeah, that sequence there kind of shocked me because in most slashers, they would just never find the body, you know, it would just, we'll just move on. And at the end of the movie, we'll find that body. But in this one, no, they they went right out. They found the body, the cops came and everything. And I thought, wow, you know, kind of a surprising turn of events here but yeah then then they all just sort of disappear and i guess they're looking over looking throughout the neighborhood to, to find this killer but we've already searched the theater and he's not in there so it's like um okay <laughs> again you know this we're, we're watching a slasher here we're we're not watching citizen kane you know so we'll we'll, we'll, we'll put up with it
2: <laughs> yeah we can let we can let things kind of slide a little bit you know you, you can suspend your disbelief for certain for certain aspects of these films. So, you yeah, know, and, and for
0: Italian films, for Italian films in particular, you, you've got to be ready to do that. Just, you know, just go with the flow. Turn your brain maybe down a, a notch, down to, you know, down from 10 down to maybe 7, and you'll enjoy these. <laughs> <things>. <laughs>
2: uh, that's a good way of putting it. Turn your brain down to like, you know, from 10 to 7. Like yeah. I, li- I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. I'm going to steal that from you.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, you don't got to turn it down to five, like for, you know, some of these zero budget indie movies that, that you and I have seen and, and have talked about, but, uh, you know, you got to you got to knock it down a notch and just go with the flow and let the emotion and, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, that can stay at a high level because these these movies generally have a lot of emotion and anger and fear and all that kind of stuff. They do that well, but logic, yeah, you got to knock it down. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like the logic of, you know, there's a killer on the loose, they've killed one of our crew, and the director's first thing is to tell one of the crew, it's like, here, I want you to lock us in so that we can rehearse and hide the key so nobody else knows where it is. Yeah. <laughs> that <clears throat> that just doesn't quite that, that doesn't jive with me. If, if I was in the, that situation, I'd be like, I don't need a job that well, you know, that that badly. But, you know, like between the director, uh, Peter, and the uh, producer, uh, Ferrari, who I got to mention here, the Piero Vita that plays uh, the producer, dead ringer for uh, Paul Servino. And I literally for a half a second when I watched this, i like, I didn't remember Paul Servino being in this, but spit an image of the man, spit an absolutely, image.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's he's a good solid actor in this too, for you know, the role he's got. In fact, everybody is there isn't any weak acting in the, in this whole movie but that that whole sequence that, that we're talking about there you know it would have where it could have worked logically is if they had thought they found the killer let's say they they decided or they they arrested the uh, the caretaker and, and charged him with it then it would make sense okay let's lock ourselves in and let's do this But since they didn't have a killer apprehended or anything, yeah, that that lost a lot of logic points right there. So, you know, a little rewrite, if they could have, they could have set somebody up, you know, to be maybe the killer, you know, they could have created some other character. Yep, we caught him, you know, then then that could have worked. But yeah, as it is, it doesn't make any sense to do it this way. But again, that's okay. It's a slasher.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a slasher. Some things aren't meant to be, uh, I guess you could say aren't meant to be logical. Right. Yeah, like they didn't even try to give you really any kind of uh, red herring. Now, no. uh, <laughs> as James Edward Sampson, who played the, the, the caretaker Willie, yep. I instantly recognized him from uh, Shocking Dark, which yep. was, I know was one that you did not enjoy. But uh, I got to mention it because it, we mm-hmm. have covered it here. He was in Robot Jocks and also he was the voodoo priest in uh, Zombie After Death.
1: Yeah, so well, I, I
2: recognized him right a, right away I was like okay I know this guy
0: yeah, that that's what I recognized him from was zombie four but yeah he a very familiar face good actor and had this been a gylo you know then I would have started to suspect hmm you know maybe he's the killer here maybe he's got something against these people but you know it wasn't a gylo we knew who the killer was but you know who knows who knows what they what they started with when they were thinking about this movie and where they ended up but that's what makes it fun is, you know, you can still enjoy the the, the Gylo tropes in here and the the cliches, even though they really don't have any bearing on the plot, which is still your basic slasher plot. Um, Right, right. Really doesn't even have the revenge angle that a lot of slashers do. I mean, this guy is just, he's he's nuts and he's killing people,
2: you know? Yeah, he's a crazy actor that just happened to notice that a couple other actors had wandered into his neck of the woods, and he's just like, okay, I think I'm going to kill these fucks.
0: Yep, yep. And that and that was fine because where they where they made it um, you know, more intense, I think, and this is I think this is right where the movie starts to kick in too, is when they when, like you said, the director makes that terrible decision, like, hey, lock us in the building and hide the key. Then all of a sudden it's, you know, the intensity jumps up a notch because, you know, you know that the guy's trapped in there with them. You just you know that's gonna happen. And uh, you know, it's it's set up that kind of that claustrophobic you know, feel maybe that you have from Night of the Living Dead, you know, where they're trapped in the house. They're, they're all trapped somewhere now. And uh, then it's it, you're not so worried about the motivation of the killer anymore. You know, it's not like he's trying to get revenge for some part he didn't get or something like that. He's just nuts, and they're all trapped with this nut. And, uh, you know, he's going to kill us,
2: and he does. Well, and it's <laughs> also a it's, a it's a very similar plot line to, you know, another movie that Suave would, was involved with a couple years earlier, one of my personal favorites, Demons, yeah. of being locked in, you know, not necessarily a movie theater. This is more of, you know, a, a theater, so yeah. to speak. But, it's it, you know, I drew a lot of similarities of like, oh, now we're locked in this place with, with, you know, these things or a thing that wants to kill us. And, you know, God. And uh, th- I really, like, want to know just how much cocaine that fucking director was snorting. Because I know they do one little scene where he does a little... Yeah. And yep. it's like, yeah, he, it, it was 87. So there was all the cocaine, mm-hmm. but like he makes the, the questionable decision to turn the killer in his story, the, the, the play that they're putting on the musical, which is like, has the great owl mask. I think we have, oh. we have glossed over that. That owl mask is just creepy as it's, all get up.
0: Is that not the best slasher mask ever?
2: Oh, it's got, it's gotta be top three. Is, I mean, it's, I'd I mean, have to make a list, but I'd have to say yeah, definitely I mean, top can, three. Yeah, I mean,
0: you can talk about, you know, Jason and, and, you know, and the Halloween masks and all that kind of stuff, but, and they're, and they're, you know, they're iconic. I get that. But just, just a purely scary mask, you know, that just kind of came out of nowhere. Who would have thought an owl head would be so menacing? But it really is.
2: It, it really is. And I find owls to be kind of terrifying creatures because they just look. You know, they're beautiful creatures, but they look le- nefarious. You know, they look like they're 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 meant <laughs> to they're cause harm. You. Yeah, they're, they
0: look judging, like they're you, judging you. <laughs> <laughs> and they can turn but, their head around like 180 degrees. So that's kind of a freaky. gear all the way around. They got a really freaky thing they can do with their head and their claws. Whew! They got some fierce claws.
2: But yeah. yeah, they can they can fuck you up if they wanted to. They really yep. could.
0: Yep, but yeah, just that 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 big owl head on a you know on a menacing body, and I I happened to see that uh, George Eastman did play the the owl headed guy, um, just you know un, un uncredited probably because George Eastman is just such a huge guy.
2: You know, he's, oh, he's a hulk of a man. He's, yeah, so,
0: he's he's so you know just tall and long limbed that I think you know that just made him probably scarier than the guy they actually cast as the 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 psychopath. So be-
2: so he actually played the the Irving Wallace while he was masked.
0: Yep. He was the star. I
2: did not realize that. I didn't know that. That yeah. makes sense though. I mean, you know, he was already the writer, so he didn't you know they didn't have to tell him anything about the story or motivation. You knew what was up.
0: The one scene where I think you can tell if, if you go back and watch it again, is probably the next scene you're you're gonna want to talk about anyway. But um, where uh, you know where he basically makes his first kill in, in the theater there. Uh, where oh,
2: uh, Corinne's death. I'll, yes. I'll let you take this one. I'll let you take this one, uh, how, how this comes about. Cause this is <laughs> fairly creepy and, and, and interesting at the same time, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, so there's all this tension between the actors and everything, but the, the director has gone ahead and, and decided to lock a certain subset of them all into the, into the theater now to, uh, to, to rehearse this new rewritten sequence so that this urban wallace character can you know can be center stage now he's the killer now so they 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 set up this scene with that uh, with Corinne and she's going to be um, you know killed by by this urban wallace creature and uh he kind of comes onto the, the scene there and, and the director's screaming at him, why aren't you coming onto the scene? Why aren't you you know why aren't you doing this? Because because of course it's not the real actor. The real actor has been basically bound and gagged. And that's kind of yeah, a Yeah, he's
2: been that's uh, Giovanni, Brett's character. Yep. The Brett yep. character. He's Giovanni, been incapacitated.
0: Yep, he's he's not there. So this uh the psycho has put on the owl mask and all this stuff, and he's he's going out there and he's actually gonna grab this girl and he's gonna kill her right in front of all of them. And he does, and again, just while well, the
2: director is cheering for this, yeah, killer, oh, exactly. killer, get it
0: over with, yep. I'm like killer, oh. yep, and this is where uh, it's where at least if you go back and watch it, the way the the way he kind of just kind of. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for where he just kind of hovers over her and he sort of lords over her you can you can definitely see George Eastman in that shot just the way his just his shoulders hunch over and the way he looks over her just before he starts to stab the heck out of her and and honestly that scene for me was kind of weak I I knew what the director wanted but I but that the cast just stood there while she was being stabbed over and over and over again I mean I don't know what they were what they were going for there, but to me, somebody would have jumped in at some point and noticed that she was getting stabbed. I mean, I don't know because they didn't really set it up like there was a fake knife or anything, you know. In, in an earlier scene, I mean, he's just stabbing her and she's bleeding and she's bleeding out the mouth and all, and everybody's just standing there watching. And finally, they they get up and go up after you know after she's all but dead.
1: And, yeah, she's
2: she's like seconds away from death because she's bleeding yeah. out. I, I think it might have just been they were trying to hammer home the fact that they were all in shock. Because I also felt like because even the director's like, "Why are you using a knife?" You know, he's like, "That's not how this is supposed to work,"
0: right? So, and that and that's that's why I that's what I made it so weak for me. It's like, oh come on, you know it's if if they had set up earlier that you know he was going to kill her with a fake knife or something you know and there was going to yeah. be fake blood but as soon as there's blood all over the place and that was not in the you know the script at all somebody would have screamed or done something instead of just watching her get killed and i maybe there was a some point to that being done that way i don't know i just for me i i would say that's maybe a little bit of weakness either in the editing or the directing or or just the uh you know, kind of how it was all thought out when they were doing this. But that's, to me, that was just a, an overall kind of a a little bit of a weak scene for this whole thing. And then he just sort of disappears again, you know, after he stabbed. Yeah, they just
2: him. let him go. They just yeah. let him walk off. Nobody decides to try to chase this guy down that just killed one of their own.
0: And I guess they think it's Brett, they, or they think it's John Morgan. You know, they think it's him. Well, then then why wouldn't you chase him? What the hell's wrong with you, dude? It's just sort of a, you know, again, for that scene, you've got to turn your logic down to maybe four.
1: Yeah.
0: Right,
2: right. The Long only, seven. The only but, thing I can say in any kind of defense is that the Brett character that Giovanni slash John plays was known to be a prankster. So right. I wonder if it, for, I'm not. I'm not trying to dive too deep into this, but I'm thinking maybe they just thought, oh, it's, it's one of Brett's pranks, but did this prank go too far? Did he snap? Because, like, they accused him in the beginning of uh, doing some things that he obviously did not do. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, and so, I again, don't know.
0: Yeah, they, set, they set that part up. Yep, I'll, I'll give you that, that, that he was a prankster or whatever. They they did sort of set that up, but they needed to set up, you know, that this was going to be some sort of a killing on stage or something, Right that, right, that they just sort of missed, and then they just, I mean, it could have been a more dramatic scene. could have been a lot scarier, really, if they had been, like, struggling to get on the stage, or there was some reason they couldn't get there, and they're watching her get killed, and they're all, you know, crying and screaming, and then they chase him down, and he gets away or something. It could have just been a lot better, that particular sequence. But it made its point. I agree, you know, I agree. She was the, Corinne, 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 she was the girl who hid the key. Now She's dead. Nobody knows where the key is. Now we're permanently trapped in with this guy who just killed her. So, I mean, the, the dramatic point was was made, but it could have been made a lot better.
2: Yeah, they could have hammered it home with this a little bit, a little yep. bit more. I think this is also the part where I started to really dislike Ferrari, because this poor yeah. woman's been stabbed in the torso, you know, half a dozen times. She's bleeding out. He's shaking her, shaking her, like yeah. slamming her this? head. Yeah, it's just like... um. Maybe ask her gently, <laughs> you know. But, but yeah, they uh, set that
0: up well, too. You know, he's just this greedy producer representative. He's all about how we're going to make money on this whole thing. And, you know, so I I thought it was consistent for sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, at one point he's uh, even uh, kind of hint towards the fact that he's trying to get uh, Alicia to do some some unscrupulous kind of things he's like oh you know i can talk to the director because you know we kind of glossed over the fact that the director fired her the minute she got back from the hospital because she dared to go get you know her injury treated
1: right
2: yeah but they they just let her back in so they did have the point where i'm like wait a minute didn't they fire her or did they rehire her like and i missed something
0: yeah i i i think That when he was when he decided he was going to rewrite the story now that he thought maybe this was in me, this is just me filling in the blanks that he decided the director that he did need her after all because of what this change, you know, was going to mean. So that's all I could figure with that. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Why? Yeah. Why would he lock her in with everybody else when he just fired her? That's the only thing I'm thinking is that, hey, we've got this big change now. We need her again. So let's you know, let's let's work it out. But they didn't really say that. That would have been a nice little add to it, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, it would have been would have been nice, a little extra.
0: Yep,
2: yep. But if it had been a giallo, they would have done that. But since it's a slasher, we don't get that.
0: That's right.
2: <laughs> and we do have one uh, slasher trope coming up here next that I'm going to talk about, and I'm sure you can probably guess what it is. Um, Peter, the director, says they should all stay put. Safety and numbers, don't split up, and the first thing he does within seconds after saying that is split up with Danny to go find the key. Yep. <laughs> like, we, we need to stay together, you know, safety and numbers, don't separate. Okay, hey, Danny, come with me. We're going to go out here and go look for this key.
0: But, but to their credit, you know, the two guys that, that go off on their own like that, they aren't the ones that get killed. <laughs> no, no. So they turned it around. <laughs> And the, yeah. the killer goes after the the bigger group of them instead.
2: Yeah, and he gets a couple of them. He gets Mark. Yeah, uh, poor Mark trying to keep the door you know closed to the area that they're the the, the the backstage where they're at. They're trying to get in through the door. Does a Michael Myers thing like you know it, it's hard to not uh, compare this killer a little bit to Michael Myers yeah. since it's largely a silent performance in his mask. You know yeah. when his arm comes through the window its kind of very reminiscent of Halloween too. And he pulls poor Mark in, and just like, you know, they're trying to, the girls are trying to like help poor Mark before he, I guess you could literally say he just gets screwed.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> that—that, that, you know, Literally quite literally with that, that power drill. And again, that's a very giallo kind of shot. Uh Lots yeah. of blood, lots of that good uh ragu kind of colored blood that I love so much.
0: Yeah, I thought was I thought it was a pretty effective scene there. You know, that we had some fear. We had the one girl who was just completely, you know, unable to do anything. Just Yeah, you know, she was
2: damn near catatonic.
0: Yep, yeah, she's catatonic. And the other the other two are trying to help, but they're obviously not strong enough to do anything. And uh, you know, and he's just trapped against that door, and here comes this gigantic drill bit right through his guts. And uh yeah, no, I thought that was a pretty well pretty well executed little sequence there, pretty well, well thought through. Yeah, but poor Mark,
2: you know, everybody in this movie is, is gets a uh, quote-unquote poor scene, you know, where they're just like, oh, poor Mark, poor Brett. Yeah. But, uh, no, this is the point, like, I got to say, like, while I, I love the actress Mary Sellers that plays Laurel in this, because she plays the role so effectively. I had just yeah. reviewed a movie on a friend's podcast where we did uh, Ghost Houses that she was in.
0: Yeah, but- she's one of my favorites.
2: Yeah, she should have done, I wish she would have done more. She's still working to this day, but it's much like a a Giovanni, you know, Lombardo, like, type of actor that, like, you just, you know, it leaves you wanting more and wanting to see them more and more. Yeah. But when you get to the chase on the catwalks where everybody's just kind of running around and getting chased by the killer, Laurel is kind of an asshole. She like yeah. literally kicks um, poor Alicia in the head, knocks her down the, the stairs or down that ladder to where she gets knocked out. And then she just literally kind of looks at her, shrugs, and just leaves her to get murdered. Well, she she doesn't. She doesn't get murdered. But, you know, we don't know that that wouldn't have happened.
0: Right. Well, they, you know, and again, they set that up earlier in the story. Those two were in competition. And, you know, when the director fired Alicia, I think Laurel was going to get her part. Oh, that's right. And that's then, right. And then, she brought, and then she brought Alicia back. So Laura was obviously the one who was not going to be in that role now. So I, I thought that was another thing. I thought they set it up pretty good. You know, all these actors were very petty toward each other for the most part except for the two that were in love but you know the rest of them were always criticizing and making smart ass comments to each other and and about each other and mostly about the director but you know there was there was a lot of that sort of cattiness going on so I thought that was that for that particular scene where she you know kind of kicks her in the face and sends her down the down the the ladder there um, I I thought that was a a nice nice little segment there and actually the follow-up scene I thought was even better but that uh, that little sequence there between the two of them, I thought was – that was what I would expect to happen at that point.
2: Yeah, yeah. It does make sense because they, they were – and at least Laurel was in competition trying to get Alicia's part. You know, right. And, yeah. and, you know, the actors always want a bigger part, so it makes, and lo- and makes the, sense.
0: Know, Laurel had to wear that ugly costume, you know, where she's like a, a fat Fig Newton man thing.
2: <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was not a – yeah, another and, glamorous and, outfit.
0: And Alicia got to be the the hot prostitute, you know. So I, I that was I think that was all. I thought that was put together pretty well,
2: you know. Yeah, but like it it does, you know. Like we had said earlier in the show, you know, you, you have characters in this movie, you don't want to care about them too much because you know they're just cannon fodder. Exactly. They're just fodder for the. You know, they're just like victim number three, victim number four, and and uh, Laurel is going to get it just about as worse as anybody, but. Yeah, think the sec, the section we got to talk about next is poor Brett. Poor Sounds. Brett has been missing ever since you know he was talking to himself in front of the mirror, probably a good half an hour before this, you know, part of the movie that we're talking about. And he bends down to grab his outfit and it reveals Irvin Wallace standing there in the owl outfit behind him. And then Brett's just disappeared. We don't yeah. know what's happened to him. You can assume that he's dead, but he's not because our fucking coked up, uh, asshole director sees, you know, somebody sitting in, you know, one of these rooms that they're in, in the back area. And he sees the a guy is sitting there, you know, in the owl mask. So what does he do? He chops him in the chest and in the neck a couple times with the ax and he pulls off the owl mask, but it's not Irvin Wallace It's poor fucking Brett. And man, like the poor guy has been sitting there, you know, tied up and like, you know just bound and gagged forever just to get killed by one of his compadres it's just like oh poor guy
0: and this and this is another scene where you again turn your logic level down to seven at least why didn't the killer kill brett (laughs) why did he tie him up and put him up in the rafters when he's been killing everybody else (laughs) why didn't you just kill brett too no you hauled him up there to let the director kill him so, you know, whatever. but uh, Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I, I can let that go. I mean, when you got people like Myers and Voorhees, uh, you know, hiding people in trees just to have their bodies fall down right. just at the opportune it, exactly. time where the heroin is going to, like, pop out and it's like, oh, we got bodies dropping down from the rafters. You right. Know. Exactly. Just turn, turn,
0: again, turn the brain down a couple notches and just accept that because, okay, that's what happened. And it makes the director out to be even a bigger scumbag piece of crap than, you know. What, what you thought he was, because now he's even just killed this guy who was not guilty in any way
2: and, and did it pretty brutally too. Oh yeah. And I got a question here. Maybe you, you can help me answer this. Um, did they essentially, when the, when Sylvia falls into the, through the floor, you know, because the ceiling's leaking and there's a weak spot in the floor and she falls halfway through. Yeah. The, kill, the killer's obviously down below pulling on her legs. Yeah. Are, are, or two guys are pulling on her arms from up top. They do a sound like because I know we have a a chainsaw scene coming up next. Now were we led to believe that either he used the chainsaw to cut her in half, or did they literally pull her in half? Like did they rip her in half? I'm like I I because it sure sounds like a ripping sound effect. Because I'm like I, I I don't know. I just I, I was. I was led to believe that the sound
0: effect guy was was out for his smoke break and forgot to put the chainsaw sound in there because there's no way that you can pull a person in half like that, you know. I mean, it's just there's that, just that would effect.
2: require upper body strength that Arnold Schwarzenegger and The Rock, Dwayne well, Johnson, together don't have.
0: Well, George, George Eastman might have that kind of strength down on the bottom, you know.
2: But yeah, yeah, but those two guys on top, right.
0: Know, but but no, you're, you, first of all, I think I think the arms would pull out of the sockets before the body. I mean, <laughs> you're gonna rip a body right in half at the waist, <laughs> right? Not not gonna happen. And I know it's. I mean, I don't even think in the hitcher they they got they showed that. Yeah, I think you're you know, you're gonna lose your, your arms is what's gonna pull out first.
2: Yeah, I but think your uh, arms or your legs are gonna pull out the sockets before, you know, you get you rip apart of the torso.
0: <laughs> right. spine and a torso. I mean, I just is crazy. But yeah, I, I just think that they they forgot the sound effect there. The music and stuff and the screaming was loud enough that I mean it, it didn't really bother me, except I just thought, yeah, why not? What why do we have to hide the reveal of the chainsaw? to the guy who jumps down then to, you know, to, to kill the guy. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Just another, you know. I,
2: I will admit to laughing out loud and, you know, I know it's not appropriate to laugh out loud during the death uh, scene, but you know, yeah. no one ever said I was appropriate, but, uh, it was,
0: it was a cool scene though. I mean, I, it was
2: shocking. I certainly didn't expect. <laughs> to yeah, me out either.
1: <laughs> but, uh,
2: we get some uh, as as old Joe Bob would say, we get some chainsaw foo coming up here next.
1: Mhm. Yes.
2: And that and that chainsaw like I I thought for sure now there's a couple things I got to say about this one. One, Laurel couldn't die soon enough in this scene where she get, you know, she uh, is down there with Peter getting attacked by Irving Wallace with the chainsaw. He shoves, you know, Peter shoves her in the way. Yeah, I know. You know? <laughs> like total despicable move, but he's a despicable character. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so she gets wounded. She gets the, the chainsaw dragged across her chest. So she isn't long in this world. We get some chainsaw foo action. And I, to be honest, I don't really feel, I don't feel sorry for Laurel at all. Like I, I feel sorry that she had to suffer as long as she did. But when, uh, Peter <laughs> gets his, <laughs> gets his arm chopped off and, Irvin Wallace leans in with the chainsaw that looked like it. I don't know if it was a dull down blade or if it was a prop blade, but that looked like a legit real chainsaw spinning next to his head. And that what happens, the bastard of the scene or the bastard of the situation happens. The chainsaw runs out of fuel and the killer has to finish him off with the axe instead. And yep. we get a really, really good uh peter's decapitation just played off very very well it's like yeah. like oh nope you're still gonna lose your head just not by chainsaw
0: yeah I, was, I thought that scene was was absolutely brutal and and really well done and uh you know again his his motivation i don't know you know why not just finish off laurel at that point instead of just you know scarring her basically and then going back to peter but you know who cares you got to kill one of them
2: yeah you and, can only uh, kill one per- person at a time. Well, so. But he does get her. He does end up getting her in the end, you know. And
0: and that's actually probably my my favorite scene in the movie is uh, when when he gets her, because of course you know we, we just had that brutal chainsaw scene and you know and and everybody's hiding. Alicia's hiding in a you know, well Alicia finds Laurel.
2: Yeah, she know. follows the blood trail.
0: Yep, finds her in the bathroom, all bleeding and trapped, and you know, laying down in the shower, about to die, and you know, of course. Irving Wallace probably follows the blood trail, too, and ends up in there, and, and Alicia ends up hiding in the shower, you know, with Laurel. And that that was the shot that I, I thought they did so well, was, you know, she was trapped there, and Irving only knew that Laurel was there. And Laurel, you know, who, you know, hated Alicia, basically, and was sitting there they're staring at each other, and she didn't say anything. You know, she didn't make any sound or anything. That, Basically, that was the pe-
2: most surprising part because I thought yeah. for sure, you know, at least you know, first time watching this, is that oh, Laurel's gonna give, give her up yep. like oh, kill her first, not me, you know. But yep. nope, she yep. just locks eyes with her and doesn't say a thing.
0: Yep, which I thought showed some, you know, a little bit of a character development. You know, as it were, it was it was it was not expected. Like you said, I expected her to to just scream or do something to let him know that that she was in the shower hiding with her. And and she didn't do that. She just basically just shut up and died and uh, got stabbed and died, you know, in that scene. So I don't know. I I liked that. I liked that little character. It was brutal.
2: It was very brutal.
0: Yeah, it it was brutal. And it was a good for her character. I thought that was a nice little arc.
2: Yeah, she kind of had a little bit of a redemption there in her, yep. like, final moments, which is yep. does make you feel a little bit poor, but, you know, these are all despicable characters, so you're not meant to feel too bad no. when, they're, when they when they go down. Is this kind of like what we glossed over this point when, you know, uh, at, you know good half an hour before this when Ferrari gets killed, you know, and he gets found, you know, stabbed to death and uh, swinging from the ropes in the ceiling? Nobody gives a shit. They're just trying to grab the money. They're just yep. trying to grab the money when he dies. It's like, oh, yep, again, somebody dies and nobody cares. They just either want to find the key to get out or they want to find – they want to scoop all that bloody money up because, hey, you know, it's, it's money, right? Yep,
0: yep. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then uh, this is the next note I have, and I know this is going to sound like a random note, but it bears mentioning here is that these cops kind of suck <laughs> because they just keep cutting back to the cops outside reading – magazines and talking about like oh my, my wife is trying to get me to stay on this extra diet and the guy's just like ah oh, that's because you're so fat and he's just like that's not fat that's muscle Yep. and they're comparing yeah. that they look like marlon brando and and james dean well i will admit Swabi doesn't bear a striking resemblance to james dean that the other cop does not look anything like marlon brando whatsoever
1: no,
0: I think I think that's, you know, at least it wasn't overboard. I mean, it was obviously a little bit of, you know, idea. There was a little bit of comic relief and, you know, probably to give the, uh, you know, the opportunity for, you know, sort of things to be happening behind the scenes while, you know, to just sort of tie up some maybe some timing issues and stuff. They start of stuck those cop scenes in there. But, uh, you know, again, at least at least, you know, sometimes when you got that comic relief, it's so out of place and over the top. In this one, you know, at least it wasn't over the top and they weren't trying to be funny type of thing. You know, it was just there. They were just just bad, you know, incompetent cops and they're not hearing a thing that's going on. Now, granted, what would they have heard in all that rain? You know, they might have heard the chainsaw start. But it wasn't like there was a bunch of gunfire or anything, so I could sort of see them just sitting out there, thinking, "Well, nothing's going on." But why were they there anyway? You know. <laughs> I think <laughs> they the were logic. just
2: there to keep an eye and see if anybody tried to get back into or out of the building. But like you would have thought, they would have maybe put one of them inside, one of them outside would have made S- more sense to me. Something
0: would have made anything would have made more sense than them sitting in the car in the rain eating donuts and spinach, you know.
2: But again, it was <laughs> <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> it no, wasn't painfully unfunny. It was just kind of like, eh, okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was just a little odd. It was a little odd, but it wasn't like total buffoonery. It didn't feel like you know, like the Keystone Cops. It wasn't like, yeah. it wasn't that kind of goofiness. It was just, it was just mild goofiness. Yep,
0: yep. <laughs>
2: but uh, anyway, anyway, but then we get into our final chase, and I gotta admit, the final chase, you know, usually is one of my favorite you know tropes or favorite kind of scenes in a in a slasher movie you know the final girl was in chase with the killer but really other than the music being so impressive the final chase is a little lackluster and a little you know a little boring like the, the visuals is great and the music is great but it's just kind of oddly paced yeah it's it's shot well like you said the
0: music's great um and you know the the drama is is there but it just it goes on too long you know yes it really does it it goes on without really any again because we don't have a, a motivation for the killer you know he's just crazy and he's just killing everybody if there was some background motivation for him or something some reason why he had to kill her last you know something like that but instead it just sort of you know it just it all just sort of happens and yeah you got the eye candy and, and you got some gory stuff going on and he does a what you know happy birthday to me thing and puts all the all the the corpses are surrounding him and all the you know and, and poses and and all this kind of stuff is going on. And, and, and I like this. that
2: sequence. I did yeah, like I that sequence yeah. of him setting that up. That was yeah. so great. And just sitting there amongst them and just petting that cat. Yep, and listening
0: to me. Yeah, he's at least nice to the cat at that point. And yeah, and, and you know, and the music is playing. So he's sitting there in all of his glory, you know, he's on stage, he's the center of attention, he's, you know, arranging these dead bodies and decapitating one guy again. And, you know, <laughs> right. it's not it's not a bad sequence. It just feels like it's it feels like there's like two or three endings, you know, going on here and, and they just keep going. And uh that that is yeah, I agree with you. It's it's, it's fun to look at and to listen to, but nothing really gets accomplished for a pretty long time.
2: Yeah, it, it could, could have had half of that time cut out of that final that final sequence, you know. Yeah, it easily, just. Yeah. But the one thing I got to ask, like, <laughs> that axe could take off a head with one whack. But how many whacks did it take to cut through that cable that he's climbing up when he falls over the edge of the catwalk <laughs> when he's chasing Alicia and he's climbing up? She must take fifteen twenty wax at that thing to cut that cable. Well, and why not just
0: blast him with the fire extinguisher again anyway? I mean that that took yeah. it out the first time. <laughs> why are you worried about that? I would I would have just conked him with the fire extinguisher or just blasted him with it again. It would have been nice if like the fire extinguisher had run out or something.
2: To kind of like the fuel used. ran out of the chainsaw.
0: Yeah. Know? Something a little more logical again, but you know, again, to, to create the drama and the, the, the tension, you know, she's trying to chop through, that was a pretty thick cable, you know, I'll give you that. But yeah, that, that axe was was certainly sharp enough to, to completely decapitate and send a, a head launching, you know, just, just 15 minutes earlier. So why is it so dull now, you know? <laughs>
2: It was it was dulled down by you know thwacking the head off yeah you know, I guess
0: I guess so yeah no, I don't,
2: uh, know. <laughs> I'm, I don't I'm, know I'm I'm, re- I'm I'm reading too much into it I'm just, just saying I'm,
0: well, Overanalyzing.
2: over
0: yeah <laughs> Tur- turn the brain down and and again that that sequence even you know again it, there needed to be more getting resolved there we needed more of a something you know not just her running and, and running and running and, and him following and following and following and running there needed to be something else that was you know some other plot point that was getting addressed during all this otherwise yeah it just sort of felt like maybe it like a music video going on or something and again all well shot and well acted and and you know and and stuff does happen it's just you just watch it you just feel kind of like you know, it just needed some more motivation in that sequence or something
2: yeah it just needed to move around move it a little more yep you know yep. brisk pace yeah but she she hits she stabs the killer she hits him in the head with the, the fire extinguisher or blasts him in the face knocks him over cuts the cable from the fall down about 20 feet and, and, to the to the stage but you know we all know that a killer is not going to die from that because oh the killer's still alive the hell you say this is a slasher
0: yeah, <laughs> not, yeah dead get, yet.
2: <laughs> not dead yet but then she sets them on fire manages to get the key and get out to the cops that are just sitting around like oh hey hello, what's going on what's the problem here miss and <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and then we get like kind of I, I would have thought you know that would be a good place to to end it, but you like you said you know there's a couple of like uh, of filler scenes and you know almost like alternate endings like they didn't know mm-hmm. where they were going to end it. And the next note I have here after she burns them up and like they, oh, what do they say? The reporters say that there's only been eight bodies that were found, mm-hmm. and and she does a kind of a giallo thing and starts, you know, where in a the giallo, there's always somebody that re- recalls something from memory that is a bit a bit of trivia, you know, or a bit of the information, not, not tri- trivia, but she just starts counting in her head, all the bodies. She's like, that's one body too little. And, you know, she, so she goes back, but she goes back to the, the place and just so she finds outside is old Willie, the groundskeeper Willie. And I kind of yeah. thought like, the, especially first time I watched this many moons ago, I was just like, is he going to be in cahoots? Cause he's acting very odd. He's going on and on about the gun, you know, about how the, you know, the reason why the gun didn't go off was because she had the safety on. And he goes on and on about the safety. And I would have hit him. I would have got him with one shot. I would have hit him right between the eyes. And what happens? The killer, she turns around just as she, you know, kind of figures it out that the killer's missing. And, Yeah, takes that step sideways, revealing, you know, they kind of do this trope twice, you know, once with Giovanni and once with her where she steps aside and we finally see our killer full figured face exposed, burnt to halfway burnt to a crisp and he's going to kill her. And what happens? Oh, Willie does exactly what he said he was going to do and shoots him once right between the eyes. And we know this because he says it like 20 times. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) he was awfully fixated, like I got him right between the eyes. It's like, I, 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 like, I even have a note like, yeah, Willie, you got him right between the eyes. We yep. get it.
0: I think he was, I don't know. I think he was, maybe they thought this was a, a way to simulate that he was sort of in shock because he'd done that. Um And then, yeah, just the shot, just before that, he'd completely disappeared. You know, when, when she was counting the bodies and all that stuff and she turns around to see him and he's gone.
1: Right, then, right.
0: He's back and and he shot the guy right between the end. He was gone because he was putting a bullet in the chamber, whatever he said. I can't remember exactly. But, you know, sort of just sort of dreamlike and and weird, you know, a weird ending. And again, something it would have been nice if they would have set it up earlier, you know, that there was some. Why? I mean, why was she so obsessed with the number of bodies? Maybe they could have set something up earlier in the story where she was obsessed with, you know, counting something. Instead, she's obsessed with his gold watch which she lost and found, and that's, like, well, that's okay. She lost
2: and found the watch twice, and then, like, the falling axe destroys that watch, so it's just like, eh, it was all for nothing anyway. You lost the damn watch anyway, so how important was it?
0: Yeah, and that that was okay foreshadowing, at least, you know, that she lost it. She found it was very valuable. She lost it. She had to go back and get it. That was okay, but you know, why she would be thinking how many bodies. And, and it was sort of a neat little recap, you know, that she's thinking of oh, yeah, this guy, this guy, and it was little flashbacks here and there. It was it was okay. And then you realize what was going on was that the, the one guy's body was not there. Um, but it just didn't, you know, it just wasn't, as again, as logical as I'd like. I wish they'd set up something, you know, ahead of that time where, you know, where there was some reason why she would be counting. I mean, why would she be doing that? Why would that have stuck right. in her mind, you know? I mean, it, it's it worked on a, a real shallow level like that. Because, yeah, as, as an audience member, you're sitting there thinking, what is she not seeing? Well, who's not right. there? Of course, we all know who's not there because it's a slasher movie. Right, right? yeah,
2: it's going to be you're, the killer.
0: You're pretending you've never seen a slasher movie before and you're sitting there, okay, why is she counting? So, you know, again, it was just kind of a questionable thing. You know, maybe one more rewrite and they could have just tacked a little more onto that, made it a little bit better. But again, it's, it is what it is. A slasher movie. At least it was good looking. You know, it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't boring. Um, it was a little drawn out towards the end there, but hey, you
2: know. Yeah, I think they were trying to pad out the running time, trying to make it a full 90 minutes, you know, but I can forgive it for that. I, but, you're, what,
0: but, but he still isn't dead, even after he got shot in the middle of the head.
2: Yeah, like right between the eyes, again, because yep. we know it because Willie says it 15 times. As the camera focuses in on him, he blinks and smiles at the camera before we cut to black.
0: Yep, (laughs) which I thought was kind of kind of crazy, kind of funny. Um, So you know, maybe that's their nod at, hey, we know we just made a you know we we made a slasher movie here. We're not taking ourselves too seriously even though the actors really played this thing seriously. I thought they, they did a fantastic job. But, you know, that was the, the little wink at the end there basically was, okay, this was just a movie, you know, settle down.
2: <laughs> yeah, we know what kind of movie we made here, and so yep. do you. So just kick back yep. and enjoy it. and yep. Just have fun. You got to see a whole bunch of people get
0: killed who you didn't really like anyway, and maybe one or one or two people maybe you did sort of like that got killed. So, all right, hey, cool, have a good evening,
2: you know. <laughs> right, yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy your popcorn, and we're done. Yep. Have a have a safe drive home. You know, we're winking
0: at you, wishing you luck.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, making sure you get all the way home. Look out for a guy in an owl mask sitting in your back seat, folks. You know, be more aware of the people in that are in this movie, because it, like I like I often say, uh, if people in these movies made smart decisions, the movies would be awfully short. That's right
0: it would have
2: really, been, been over like right after the psychiatric hospital because they've been like, "Hey, um, there's a killer in our backseat."
0: Right, but once they got trapped in the in the, the theater and stuff, once you got to that point, there weren't like there weren't like really dumb decisions from that point on or anything. I mean, there was floorboards breaking and there you know there were things happening other than kicking the girl in the face. But then again, you know she might have been motivated to do that. So you know, I, I've certainly seen dumber characters and dumber dumber scenes than what this movie had other than those couple of leaps of faiths kind of at the beginning where, you know, to put us in this position.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. But that is essentially our movie. You know, uh, we get that final shot of uh, Irving Wallace staring at the camera, blinking, and then smiling before freeze frames. And we uh, cut to black, but uh, you know how we do things around here, Tom, we, we you, you've been on the show enough. We usually do a, a final summary of thoughts and a rating on a scale from one to 10 and, and, Guess go first, so have at it.
0: Okay, so final, final summary. We nothing that you haven't heard us talk about before here. I mean, it's very stylish, good looking movie, good sounding movie, well acted movie, mostly well directed movie. Couple of scenes that I, you know, stood out to me that I would nitpick a little bit. Um, and again, I, slashers are not my favorite genre, but this is probably the only slasher that. I would you know really rewatch and probably because it's just got that eye candy, it sounds good. it's you know it's got a, it's got its dumb things, but it's still there, there's a lot of concepts in it that I, I thought they did very well. And it felt more like a gylo than a slasher. I am a Gylo fan and, oh, uh, even though you, know,
2: it, you know me, I am as well.
0: Yeah, I mean it lacked the mystery element of the gylo. Because we knew who the killer was right, right from the get-go. Even, even if the the cast and the uh, the theater play didn't know who it was, we did. Um, so, it, you know, it just it just had a lot of good things going for it. So, for for its own, you know, for its own thing, for for doing their own thing with the Jilo genre, and really for putting together a, a a pretty elaborate production to do it, and a great mask, um, and some pretty decent, I thought, some pretty decent kill scenes that were not. Over the top, you know. This was played very straight. Um, I've seen some slashes that are so over the top; it just—it's just not even any fun, um, unless you're looking for a horror comedy slasher, and that's a whole different thing. So, you know, all those things factored together, you know, as a slasher, I would—this would probably be my favorite slasher. As an overall movie, I'm, I'm still going to give it eight. It's an eight out of ten for me, and I would—I would watch it again. And I would certainly buy it if there was a 4K version of it put out. I'd I'd love to find some extras, you know. If they, I mean, obviously most of these actors are still around, um, you know. Yeah. Hear, hear their, you know, what they recall from it. Certainly George Eastman. I'd love to hear his take on, you know, what he was thinking of when he wrote it, and and Sovie and everybody else. So it's, you know, I, I just I enjoyed it um, as as much as I can enjoy a slasher. I enjoyed this one.
2: You know, I mean, if if, uh, he can do, if George Eastman can do a sequel to Anthropophagus, he could do a sequel to Stage Right. There you go. Um, But I'm coming in very close to you. I'm, I'm coming in just a smidge lower. I'm giving it a seven and a half. Because, you know, as far as like Italian horror movies go, it's very solid. And as far as like an American slasher, it's even more solid. You know, for a standalone slasher, because you know when I think of slashers in, in, a, in an Italian sense, I think of *as Giallo*. It's just a, with more mystery, more you know, more of a it's more of a whodunit, la- laden with uh, inventive kills. And this this movie is no n- has no shortage of inventive kills, no shortage of inventive music, creative soundtracks. M- the musical cues are just so on point, point. and that's one thing that is not lacking on this. Simon Boswell's style is just plastered all over this, not, not to, to negate anything that the other three uh, you know composers had to do with this, because I'm sure they did just as much as Simon did, but it's, it's got his signature kind of sound to it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but the, the kills are just so inventive, and each one of them is so different. It checks off a box that I like have in a slasher. I don't like a, tend to like slashers where the killer just uses one weapon. Where it's just like, oh, it's Michael Myers' butcher knife, or it's Jason Voorhees' machete, I like a, a killer that is inventive and uses what's around him. And this movie, uh, you know, is a prime example of that. It's this inventive kills, it's a not too over the top. You know, there's not like, oh, like that would never happen. Except maybe the the girl I think is Corinne that, or Sylvia that gets torn in half.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I'm blaming the sound effects guy on
1: that one.
2: (laughs) Yeah, me too. Because the the chainsaw pops up within seconds after that. I'm just like, you know, they would have heard that, but maybe the sound, like you said, the sound effects guy was out getting a coffee at that time.
0: And, And you think about it, had they heard that chainsaw, wouldn't that have made that scene more intense?
2: yeah, yeah you know, it would have stuck down there all of a sudden you hear him
0: pull trying to pull start that chainsaw I mean holy crap that would have been even even because then you know what's gonna happen type of thing so it was it was a creative decision I'm sure they they decided hey let's just show her pulled in half and then we'll show the chainsaw yeah I don't know I wouldn't have made it that way
2: yep yeah, again but you know it, it, the movie is just the way it is and it, it's just fine the way it is so I give it a solid seven and a half out of ten. I think it's a pretty good standalone, single-serving slasher. I, I would, the way it ended, you would think that they had a, a sequel planned, but you know maybe this wasn't as big of a hit as they would have liked, so they didn't do it. But you know, bigger or smaller movies have been given a you know their second day in court and given a sequel. You know, so I'm still holding out hope we can get. it, Like I said, if George Eastman can write a sequel for Anthropophagus, uh. He could do one for this movie. I think we could do that. I don't get the alter alternate title though. Delirium, I ca- or deliria, I understand, but Aquarius doesn't make sense to me. I think they did right by essentially g- giving it the general title, a stage right. It's a gen- generic kind of title, but it works very well for it. I think.
0: Yeah, it's it's just too bad. There's two or three other movies with that same title, and and yeah, you might you might stumble upon the nineteen was it eighty two stage fright or the newer one and and this is the one you want to see i
2: think yeah yeah the other two are are, are fine they're they're okay in their own right i think the mm-hmm. the 8082 version is is decent the 2010 11 version uh not so much yeah uh, I, I don't i don't like that movie very much i i'm Fair not right. here to knock it but i don't like it but this this is the superior one of the three i have to say Yep, yeah, for sure well, before we sign off, do you have anything uh, new you want to plug or anything you got going on? I know you're writing music like crazy.
0: Yeah, I've been doing a lot of that. I just I just finished editing a a, a really low-budget zombie movie for a different director, and he's uh, after after the editing was done, we both decided he needs to go out and get us a little more footage because it's just not quite long enough, so he's going to go do a little bit of that now, and I'll pick up editing that one again come uh, come springtime and in the meantime I'm uh, I'm happy to be back working on my own my own uh, giant monster movie which I've been putting off for about the last 2-3 years because the software just was not really capable of doing what I needed it to do now with the new M1 Max and some of the the really powerful graphics cards and so on out there I'm able to do some more stuff with the footage I shot so I'm excited to be spending some time on that hopefully sometime in 2023 we'll get that one out and uh, Hopefully, I'll have some other soundtrack and, and gigs and stuff to talk about soon too. But it's uh, it's kind of a busy busy fall, and I like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, staying busy is good. There's nothing like just waiting for the work, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. But I think and- I'm going to add to my add to my list of things to do. I think I want to send an email to George Eastman or or Michael Sovey and say, "Hey, hey, you guys, we just we watched your stage fright, and we, you know, hey, how much? Why don't you guys do another one? I think you guys should. I think there's a market for it."
2: You know what? Maybe the rights wouldn't be too expensive to acquire and we could do our own remake or sequel.
0: That's you know, probably I, I don't even know if this is you know <laughs> you know, a lot of those Italian films kind of lost their copyright protection. So, you know, who even knows what rights there there are necessary to get? I don't know. But uh, you know, or you just make one so similar.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you what, you write George and get back with me and we'll we'll get together on that one. I'd be down for that.
0: I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly
2: but thanks for coming on kind of on short on short notice i know you're a busy man so i appreciate you taking the time out-, out of your busy schedule to do this all good it's always fun yeah and and we even f- figured out a way to do a slasher that was an italian one we even Perfect. figured that out
0: there you go. <laughs> and i and i and, and this was not just one i picked so this is this is yeah. one of the few good ones that you've actually at least partially picked Most of the ones you pick stink, so I'm glad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's highly debatable, but, you know, hey, if everybody liked the same stuff, there'd only be one kind of movie, and how fucking boring would that be? That's right. Exactly. There'd be, like, one kind of movie, and it'd all be gone with the wind. And be like, oh, great. This is great. (laughs) But, again, thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. Uh, And folks listening at home, if you want to help us out at the show, the best way you can do that is rate, review, subscribe. Like our links, share our links, uh, comment on them, and maybe send us an email or a text and let us know on the group page or uh, email us and let us know what you'd like to hear our take on next, and maybe we'll review it for you. But uh, I want to thank you all for listening. This has been your single-serving slasher month signing off, Stage Fright from 1987. Thanks, as always, for listening, folks.
1: enough it's over jesus christ it's over his hands are tied breath